Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Well, I want to welcome you back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and this is episode 29. And for those of you who have listened to some of the previous 28 episodes, you might have been thrown off there at the top. We have some new music, uh, some new intro music for this podcast that uh, will now uh, be featured in forthcoming episodes, including this one. Um, Courtesy of my friend Nick Gill, I was in Nashville this past week and um, spent some time in Nick's uh, home studio with him, and we created some sounds. Um, And I also need to thank Nick for creating the sounds of the original Agents of Innovation podcast intro music and bumper music and all that. Uh, He did that for us two years ago. We did it remotely. Um, I was in Tallahassee then. He was in Nashville, and he just came up with some good sounds and that I liked, and we used for the first 28 episodes. But you know, we were talking recently about doing a little refresh. I'm putting some new investments and efforts into the Agents of Innovation podcast, um, and Nick creating some new music for us, um, as well as uh, a little more professional voiceover um, with his. Uh, equipment there in Nashville um, really, I think, is going to add some some new sounds and flavors. So I just really want to thank Nick Gill. Um, we'll feature Nick on a, another episode. He was a guest on episode one, but we got a more full story from him uh, for a, a future episode that we will we will have soon. We also want to thank here on the Agents of Innovation podcast uh, my friend Marshall Polston, who's here in Orlando. Um, I've recently brought Marshall on as sort of a marketing director. Uh, he is creating uh, some of the Instagram posts you're seeing. If you are on Instagram, be sure to follow us at Innovation Radio on Instagram. We are featuring some, some cool posts of some of our current and past guests on the Agents of Innovation podcast. You'll also see some of those posts go up on our Facebook page if you're on Facebook. Type in the search bar, Agents of Innovation Podcast, and you'll find us there. And also, we'll do the same on Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, go to at Agent Innovation. So um, all this can be found on my blog at franciscogonzalez.us forward slash podcast. And so um, you can find all the blog posts from all the different uh, episodes we've had, including this one. And so I really want to thank these guys, Nick Gill. Uh, Check out nickgillmusic.com. And you can also find him on IMDb as Nick does some acting. In fact, I helped him with a little bit of an audition he did while we were there in Nashville last week. And um, and also, um, just want to thank Marshall Polston again for his help with all the marketing and the graphics. Um, But I'm really looking forward to this episode where we're going to have a really great guest who is a very close friend of mine. And at the end of this episode, we are also going to feature a song by Matt Hires. Uh, The song is... You Are What You Are. Uh, Matt was the featured uh, guest on episode 28 of the Agents of Innovation podcast. So you may have heard our interview with him. Um, and on this, uh, at the end of this episode, we're going to play another one of his songs from his new album, American Wilderness. And again, the song is You Are What You Are. So stay tuned to that at the end of this episode.
I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast my very good friend, Michael Long. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. I'm happy to be with an innovator. Well, actually, I'm with the innovator. I'm just the, you're with the interviewer. Um, so, uh, Michael Long is the founder of Sale Future, which basically, tell us a little bit about Sale Future, Mike. We work with kids on boats, basically, but to go more in depth, um, we provide juvenile justice and child welfare direct services to 15 to 18 year old boys in Florida. So basically, these kids, they're getting in trouble, uh, they're mischievous, uh, they get a second chance, and one of those second chances is to join the Sale Future program, is that right? Yeah, it's a, it's a unique population to, to dive in a little more there. Um, the boys we work with are considered crossover youth. Uh, I say that with quotations because not many people know what it means, but it means a, a young person who's been uh, abused and neglected by their parents, and they've entered the foster care system. And through that trauma, they've developed some coping mechanisms, and usually one of them is to uh, break the law. And so they end up catching some criminal charges. And so they're crossing over between Florida's foster care system and Florida's juvenile justice system, which is a really bad place to be because the two systems are often at odds. The purpose of a child welfare system is supposed to protect those who have been, those who have been harmed by society. And the purpose of the juvenile justice system is to punish those who've harmed, by society, who've harmed society. And so we come in and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, these kids um, really don't need to be locked up, but at the same time, they need to be held accountable for their actions. And taking a, a trauma-informed approach to the services that uh, we provide uh, makes a lot of sense, particularly for these kids. So, Mike, you uh, you grew up in Sarasota. I did. And uh, you also uh, you now live in St. Pete, where you have this home for the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a glorified dad more than anything else, but I grew up in Sarasota. Um, I was a, I was a hellraiser as a kid. I'm a hellraiser now. Um, I got lucky and, and wound up with a bunch of really smart people at New College of Florida. Studied public policy and economics, and uh, was really involved in student government, which is the best way to never work in government. Um, and while I was there, um, Seal Future was was born. Just me and a couple of friends in college were like, hmm, this. Uh, let, let's do something meaningful here. Let's do something interesting. We got a couple years left. Um, so in 2012, 2013, we took our first group of high school students who were um, having some trouble at uh, a local high school. They had below a 1.0 grade point average and some behavioral challenges. And they were all referred to us by the assistant principal. And we had no idea what we were doing. Um, we started a program with no infrastructure or plan in place. The kids showed up the first day and we were like, let's go sailing. And the only, uh, pl- we did very little planning. The only planning we did was uh, to say, these, these kids need mentors. And so we found a bunch of college students who were willing to volunteer two days of time a week to just hang out with these kids. Um, and so the first day when they all showed up, we were just kind of looking at each other like, uh, okay, you two go on a boat, you two go on a boat, and you two go on a boat. And then, you know, there's all of a sudden 10 boats out. And when you say you two, uh, you've got a college student who's the mentor mm-hmm. with the at-risk youth, who, the high school kid. No, I actually meant Bono and his band. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But uh, you went two by two in these boats. Yeah. So they're small collegiate racing boats, 14 feet long. They're really, you know, you, you lean the wrong way and you capsize, which is exactly what happened. You had this college student who didn't know how to sail, and you had this high school student who didn't know how to sail, and they went out there and they 
hit their heads on the boom, they capsized, they flipped over, they're freaking out, they're trying to figure out how to make this thing work and they just can't do it because they're not communicating, they don't know each other and they didn't listen to any of the instruction we provided because that's what knucklehead high school students do. And what that did is it created this platform where the, the high school students immediately realized, oh, shit, one, I need to pay attention when these people are talking because this isn't my environment and I can't figure this out on my own. But two, I really have to trust and depend on this college student to, to get this boat to go in, in one direction. And um, that, that helped them build a relationship. It helped um, sort of the coordinators, the, the staff, um, kind of influence the, the kids and, and, and come up with things that they would listen to because you already broke down that barrier. So we're talking to Mike Long here, uh, founder of Sail Future, and Mike is at this present moment 25 years old, and you've already accomplished quite a lot here. But uh, the uh, when you guys went out there, first of all, that sounds like a liability problem. You know, these uh, two a college student and a high school student out there hitting their heads, uh, flipping over boats. Uh, and also, how did you get these boats? It's not. It sounds scarier than it really is. I mean, you go to any any community sailing program and you see how kids learn how to sail. It's just kind of, you, you do a little land-based instruction and then you go out and you learn, you learn by doing. Um, and we had plenty of safety boats running around and circling the boys and you know, proper protocols in place. Um, but we got the boats through a partnership with New College of Florida. Um, so they had a, a big waterfront program and a lot of sailboats and they let us use initially their boats. Um, and it was great because the high school um, it's five minutes down the road. The boats are right there. The college students can walk over from their dorm rooms, and it just kind of all it all worked. So, uh, how did you convince New College of Florida to let you have access to these boats? The school's really committed to um, the community in general, um, but I was the captain of the sailing team at the time, and I don't know if that really gives me any credit because we got like last place in every regatta we were in. Um, but I knew that I knew the people who were were working at the waterfront when we brought the idea up, they're like, yeah, absolutely, that, that makes perfect sense, let's do that. So Mike, uh, you wanted to work with, with at-risk youth, and also you wanted to uh, do this through sailing, kind of providing a, a rehabilitative program by using sailing. Uh, tell me those, those two things and why you were so passionate about that. Sure. Um, so I'm not a lifelong sailor. I started sailing when I got to New College. I was living on a, uh, a junky 30-foot boat on the waterfront there. Um, and the reason I was passionate about it is because I'd been um, involved in all kinds of different juvenile justice and alternative school programs or whatever um, as a teenager, middle school, high school student. And by involved, you mean you got into a little trouble? Yeah, told you. Hellraiser then, Hellraiser now. I just try to, to do things when the cops aren't looking these days. Um, didn't have that foresight then. But, you know, when you see how um, we structure these programs to work with kids and the way we try and deliver therapy, the way we try and teach financial literacy or uh, you know, we, the, the services that these kids need haven't changed. It's just the way in which you deliver them is going to determine whether or not they're going to be effective and received. Um, the first thing you've got to do when you're working with a tough population is, is to get them to buy into what you're doing and find some sense of self-worth that's buried. And, and a way to, to identify it and nurture it in every moment that you spend with them to, to help that grow. Because no matter what resources you provide to someone, um, if they don't want something for themselves, if they don't have goals, if they don't have a purpose and passion, it, it's, they're gonna go nowhere. 
And so it doesn't matter what you're doing if you, if you can't first do that. And the reason sailing is so helpful um, is because it's, it's a therapeutic environment in general. You know, the sea has always been a calming place for many people. And there's actually quite a bit of psychological research out there um, that um, shows that the ocean and, and bodies of water have a calming presence on people neurologically. Um, you can track it. But it's also a way to um, create, and this is, this is the funny part of it because it's a real dichotomy here, it's a way to create stress. It's a way to create these very difficult, challenging situations that force people to dig deep into themselves and find a way out. Because when you're on the water by yourself or with a small team, you guys are all dependent upon one another and you have to be able to figure it out. Or you know, the boat sinks, the boat capsizes, this, that, and the other. So it, it provides a real world, um, not life or death, but definitely wet or dry scenario. Yeah, everyone's in it together. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Mike, you, you graduated from New College, and then um, tell me uh, your thoughts. I know, I know you, were, you were kind of thinking of a, a few different things that you were starting to kind of involve yourself in, and then you decided you wanted to put full steam ahead into Sail Future, and, and what happened next? So I graduated, and I, um, and I got a Truman Scholarship when I was in, in undergrad, and part of that process um, it's a, it's a national fellowship that pays for you to go to grad school. And part of that process is the, the majority of the people who receive that fellowship go and work in Washington, D.C., and work in public sector jobs. And so I uh, went to go work for a congressman as a legislative staffer in a D.C. office. And, uh, you know, great guy. It was a, um, a really interesting experience, but I knew immediately the day I stepped foot in that office that, you know, I, it, that wasn't what I wanted to do because every moment I was thinking about, all right, how do I... How do I get back to these kids? That's where I was the happiest. That's where I felt the most um, both effective and purpose. And so I went straight back to that and went to the drawing board and um, realized that the mentoring programs were great, but we needed to, to dive deeper with the kids, meaning we needed more time and more intensity to what we were doing. Um, and so through a whole lot of brainstorming with other national leaders in the field, we came up with uh, an idea to have long-term sailing programs on a bunch bigger sailboat um, that were residential in nature that would keep kids traveling on board a boat for months at a time rather than going sailing twice a week on a small boat. And over a two-year period from 2014 to 2016, we um, ran these sort of trial programs that culminated in a, uh, an attempt to field the team's most unlikely sailors to race across the Atlantic Ocean. In, um, the World Atlantic Race. Um, so we recruited 10 of the highest risk kids with offenses ranging from murder, manslaughter. I mean, most of our guys had upwards of 20 felonies, the majority of them violent. And we would go into... Um, so, you're, so you're not taking just minimal uh, offenders here. You're taking some, some pretty hardcore cases. Yeah, we're working with some really tough but amazing bright kids. And they were all locked up in five different states in either juvenile or adult facilities. Um, Arizona, South Dakota, California, um, Massachusetts, and Florida. Um, and we went to each of their judges and we said, hey, you know, we both know what the statistics are. Let's reiterate that. You know, more than 60% of kids reoffend and go back to jail within a year of the release, and then about 70% within three years. So we know what's going to happen to these boys. Would you consider an alternative placement for them? Would you consider letting them come into our program where we'll provide um, 
this really crazy experience where these kids will train to to complete a Atlantic crossing and will provide some housing and job support afterwards. And a bunch of judges were really brave and, and said, yeah, you know what, let's give it a shot. Um, and so we had this month-long training program in the United States based out of Baltimore. And then that was going decently well. We flew the boys out to the Canary Islands um, off the coast of Africa and sailed all around the coast of Africa and the Canary Islands. And uh, then things just sort of fell apart about a week and a half before the race. And we ended up having to pull the plug and send the boys home. And that was more their decision than it was ours. Um, you know, you, they just weren't ready for so much at one time. Um, and it was a really big learning lesson for us. And I remember calling you in the middle of the night on the dock shortly after, you know, we had that conversation with the kids. We said, can you get your act together or do you want to pull the plug? Um, and, and on our end, for the, the staff and the volunteers um, and a lot of the donors, too, it felt like this really big, humongous failure um, because we didn't do the race. And then a couple years removed now and, and looking back on it, um, you know, Ridge Beecher was, was this amazing young man from Arizona. He's from the Walpi uh, Reservation in Peach Springs. And he, he's lived on this, this Native American Indian reservation his entire life. He'd never been off the res. And he's now been all over the Northeastern United States. He's been to the White House, and he met Obama's senior criminal justice staff. Um, he met the head of the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the largest um, child welfare and juvenile justice private funder in, in the world. Um, traveled to New York City and um, London and Madrid and got on a plane. Um, even though we didn't do the race, it still had a pretty profound effect on these, these boys. Um, and it, it had a really profound effect on us and helped us really figure out um, what the hell we were doing. And that's, to this day, now we're um, contracted with the state of Florida as a licensed child welfare agency. Um, we operate a, a high school. We provide counseling services, job training, and around-the-clock 24-7 housing for two years. Um, and our, our model is very much a work in progress, and it should always be a work in progress because you should always be learning from the changing needs of your kids and how to sort of tweak things to deliver services more effectively. Um, but that, that Atlantic crossing, um, or the lack of the Atlantic crossing, was one of those big full stops. Say, hey, let's really think about what we're doing here and how can we, how can we be the best at it. Yeah, I remember when you when you made that call to tell me that. So just to back the story up a little bit, um, somewhere around the time after you graduated college and you you left that office in D.C., um, you you went out and actually got somebody to donate this beautiful 65 foot sailing boat, um, and I think the boat was in the nation of Turkey, um, and then you needed to bring it back. Tell me about the acquisition of that boat, how how you got it, and then how. <laughs> And then the, the fundraising plan you had to bring it back. Yeah. Um, so 65-foot uh, McGregor pilot house sailboat built to be kind of a racer cruiser, super fast, super cool. Um, I ran around to all the different uh, boat shows around the country and um, slept in a car and just met with every yacht broker I could for months. And every time I met with someone, they would always be like, who the fuck do you think you are? Why are we going to give you 
yeah, why would I go to one of my clients and ask them to give you this big boat? This is nuts. And like, why do you want to like reward kids for bad behavior? Why would you, you know, send them out on a sailing trip after they, you know, stole somebody's car or broke into somebody's home? Yeah, I mean, like a lot of good kids would love to go on a sailing trip. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was, it was definitely a, a lesson in um, just sort of figuring out how to refine a vision and communicate that to people um, and, and find a way to sort of achieve some buy-in. And that finally happened with a guy named Ralph, um, Ralph Seitz from the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. He runs their, their foundation. And he heard it, and he was like, yeah, this makes absolute sense, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you find a boat. A couple weeks later, he calls me, and uh, it's December. He's like, hey, I think I found you a boat. I was like, oh, hey, man, good to talk to you again. What the hell? You actually found a boat. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like December of 2014? Is that right? Um, yeah, 2014. 20, no, 2015. Um, and so he, this guy finds his boat, and we've got... No, it was 2014, dude. Because we were in Greece in 2015. We'll tell that story in a minute. Okay. Either way, serendipitously, serendipitously get this boat. It's right before, right before the year's um, going to end for taxes, and we've got a split decision to make. Will you take this boat sight unseen? It's in Turkey. We don't really know what shape it's in. And I look at um, Hunter and, and Mark, the, the two people who were crazy enough to be involved in this that early, and they were like, well, we don't really have any other choice, so fuck it. Let's do it. Um, and so we did, and, and then uh, spent a couple months sort of figuring out what we were going to do and trying to come up with a game plan and trying to raise money, and we failed miserably because it was still a crazy idea and unproven, and nobody wanted to give money to some 20-year-old kid to fly across the world and, and, and sail a boat. So what we ended up doing was um, reaching out to everyone that we've ever met personally and professionally in our lives and saying, hey, would you like to come on a custom sailing vacation through the Mediterranean this summer? And we um, had these donation-based vacations, and about 120 or 130 people signed up to come for a week at a time between Turkey, Greece, Croatia, Italy, Spain, Canary Islands, Morocco. Um, and we never really thought in a million years it would work, but it's, it's all because of this guy, Hunter Thompson, who's been around since day one, and he um, just really marketed and sold and reached out to people uh, in a way that kind of touched their hearts. And they were like, yeah, I want to be part of this. Um, and we brought in over $100,000 and used that to pay off the credit card debt that we racked up fixing this boat, which um, was not in particularly good condition sitting um, at a marina in Turkey. And it all kind of worked out. So, yeah, I was one of those people that got that email. Uh, Mike and I have known each other for about six years now. And this was a few years ago. And I got this email, and honestly, I didn't really even know what you were up to with this wholesale future thing. I knew everything about other things you were doing with, you know, all, all your, your work in student government and on the University Board of Governors, uh, Florida Board of Governors that oversees, you know, the, the universities. You were the one student at the time that represented all students in the state of Florida. So I kind of got to know you through that avenue, and, and I knew you, you, you had some kind of sailing something going on, but I didn't know. And then I get this email from you. Offering this, I mean, this, and Hunter, I think, put together the marketing of this. Uh, it's just beautiful, like, email, like, these beautiful pictures of Greece and Turkey and, like, the Mediterranean. And the price point was actually exceptional. Like, and I, I was like, I, I actually remember emailing you and going, Mike, what is this about? Can we talk? And we did. And uh, then I, I got a few friends to go and a lot of other people joined on that, on that adventure as well. But uh, anyway, um, 
yeah, you got, uh, we got there to Greece. I'm just going to tell my point of the story here. And we swim out, you know, we, we'd sail, we, uh, we dinghy out to the boat. We jump in the water. It was actually the 4th of July when we got out there in Athens, Greece. We jump in the water. We're playing the, uh, the Star Spangled Banner and this, uh, the, you got the USA flag on this boat in Greece. I'm a little nervous. I'm like, we're in foreign waters here. You know, I don't know what's going on. But uh, all of a sudden I jump off the boat. I look at the boat and I see my name on the side of the boat. And I was like, my name's on the boat. And uh, there was about 120 other names on the boat. And that was a really, uh, I think, uh, creative um, thing that you did because I was so excited that my name was on this boat. And you, add, you added all the people's names on the boat that had taken one of the journeys during those 15 weeks to get the boat across the Atlantic. And, uh, but then I remember saying to you a couple days later on the boat, damn it, Mike, you put my name on the boat. Now, now I'm attached to this organization for a long time. And yes. <laughs> so anyway, um, and then you sailed this thing across the ocean. The, um, while the kids didn't work out, I know you, you took a group of friends and, and, and people who were a little more uh, professional. Well, I can use the word professional lightly. They knew what they were doing a little bit uh, with sailing. And you, and you guys took this 22-day uh, Atlantic crossing from the Canary Islands to the Virgin Islands. I don't know what that was like. Tell me a little bit what that was like. It was beautiful. Completely disconnected from technology. I think the majority of the trip, I was kicking myself in the ass, wishing wishing the boys were on the boat with us, and it just felt, and a lot of a lot of the days, it just felt wrong. But when I, I finally got over that, um, everybody should do a, a long-term sailing journey. It really gives you um, an enormous amount of time to really reflect and think about where you're at in life and what matters and who matters. And um, we had a series of challenges. We shredded a a couple of sails, the, you know, I screwed something up and fried our battery bank, so we had no power, which meant we had no autopilot, so we had to hand steer the entire way. Um, you know, no lights on the boat at that point. So it was, it was not an easy trip, but it was a safe one and it was a good one. And um, the founding team of Sail Future got to do that together, which um, made it really nice. And then a couple of other people who were on the trip um, have or currently work with us as staff, so it's uh, it's awesome. We've got a, a, a weird little cult-like family here. Yeah, and so you know, I remember also the day you made that call to me, and you were in the Canary Islands, and you seemed really disappointed because you knew I, you knew I was a fan of the organization, and you seemed like you. I, I can tell you from my perspective, I could. I think you might have even Facetimed me, and you and you just said like I just felt like there was a big sense of disappointment in your voice. Like you thought you were you thought you were letting me down. You thought you were letting other people down that were supporters. And I think I told you at the time, I said, I think you just you made the best decision because I think um, from my perspective, you could have had such a temptation to just go ahead and go forward with it because you would have had that like guilt that you were letting people down. But then something crazy might have happened right across the Atlantic or something, you know, more catastrophic. So I think kind of take my perspective is taking that step back, uh, seeing the bigger picture and saying, hey, you know, we've already affected these kids lives in a lot of different ways we're going to in the future. We're just let's let's not do this part of the plan, and so you kind of kind of pulled that big plan, and and I know that part of that plan as well is, and you kind of started documenting uh, video documentaries of these kids. I know a few of them are on the Sail Future YouTube channel, um, but I know you were planning to hopefully do like a whole like hour long documentary on the on the Atlantic crossing. So I know you felt there was a little bit of disappointment that you couldn't do that. But anyway, advancing forward, Mike, you've I've, you know I've watched the last couple of years take this organization. You know, now you got the boat in St. Pete. You've got the house. You've got the, you know, what you, the whole program you just described. You've got sort of a family environment there. 
Um, what are you know the next steps now for Sale Future? Um, keep running the the best programs that we possibly can for some of the toughest kids in in the system. And so, for us, that looks like every day challenging ourselves to fine tune what we do on the ground with our kids. How to you know teach algebra more effectively in the classroom. How to you know help staff develop different techniques to help someone manage their anger a little bit better or kind of work through some of their attachment um, challenges that stem from the trauma they experienced as a kid. Um, and so that, and, you know, on one end, it's really just running really solid programs. Then on the second end, it's uh, how, do we, how do we expand that to serve more kids? Right now we've got six kids in our house and a bunch of other graduates that we're supporting in different ways. Um, but how do we, uh, we kind of take it up a notch and work with, um, with a larger set of this population? Because there's um, maybe 3,000 crossover kids just in Florida and probably 60,000 in the United States. And no one's really doing anything specifically for their needs. And so if we can do something um, really well on the ground here, maybe it'll inspire some other organizations to come in with their own techniques and their own ideas to, to work with these kids if we can show that it's possible and you can be successful doing it. When you said uh, crossover kids, is that what you meant? What, what do you mean by that? It uh, means they're, they're involved in both the child welfare, the foster care system, and the juvenile justice system. So it's a foster kid who's committed crimes. Yeah. Well, hey, there's a lot that we could probably discuss about the criminal justice re system and juvenile justice system and all the reforms and everything, and that would be that would be a whole other program. But I encourage people to look look into some of these issues further. You've done an exceptional job, I think, with Sale Future, taking you know just providing a real innovative program that's sort of completely, you know, out of the box. Um, but you know, you mentioned sailing being therapeutic. I mean, being out there just for a week on the Greek islands. I went on another trip with you in the Virgin Islands once you crossed the Atlantic. You were off for some trips there, and uh, we took that adventure again. And um, I'll tell you, being out on the water on that boat is totally therapeutic. For somebody, I can't imagine for somebody who's been behind, you know, jail cells, uh, or who's been in a, who's grown up in a home, um, an impoverished home with drugs or other family uh, kind of issues, to be able to get out of that, those walls, and uh, and kind of be out on the ocean. So what you described that, about that young man from the the uh, Native American reservation, um, you know, kind of really getting out of what he's he's been a part of. I think getting on the ocean is, is something very unique and innovative, and hopefully uh, will have a big impact on those kids' lives. So uh, sailfuture.org is the website. Um, anything else you want to mention, Mike, that people should know? Francisco Gonzalez is the man. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Mike Long's the man. Um, privileged to, to be a friend of you, Mike, and, uh, and really uh, the journey you've taken over the last six years that I've known you has been incredible. I can't wait to see uh, the many years and decades ahead and I encourage everybody to visit uh, salefuture.org and appreciate uh, having Mike Long on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Let's get a drink.